Hello, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an ACAST supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ideas in writing. Hello and welcome to episode four uh, or maybe five depending on how you count, of Ideas in Writing. It's a podcast about words that are spoken, performed, published and sometimes, actually quite often, actually, sung. And this time with a very special guest, the godfather of alternative comedy, Arthur Smith. Uh, I've met Arthur a few times and uh, he was very supportive of a play I wrote a few years ago. Um, And uh, nevertheless, I was a bit nervous um, Uh, We talked about some of the stories that are in his uh, newest book, 100 Things I Meant to Tell You. Uh, We talked about his love of walking. Uh, We mentioned Alfred Wainwright, who, uh, fact check, died in 1991. So um, I was way out with my guess. Um, uh, His story, A Pennine Journey, the story of a long walk in 1938, was, I think, published in 1986. Uh, We also talked about Edinburgh and the festival that isn't happening and near-death experiences of his audience members and Arthur's singing career. We also mentioned um, Dadaism and comedy oh, and his Patreon appeal. So look out for him releasing new and old material. Like many entertainers, he needs your support. So do look out for that and you can uh, help him and others uh, through... Patreon and very similar appeals. Of course, we'd like you to support this uh, podcast as well. Uh, And then uh, things coming full circle, I ended up encouraging Arthur to write another play after his success with uh, An Evening with Gary Lineker, which is a great play. Uh, Arthur is very knowledgeable about his literature, so I was nervous about speaking to him about writing. Uh, So much so that I completely forgot the premise of the podcast. I was going to offer the word play, 
uh, for obvious reasons, I think. And Arthur later told me that he had chosen Pagoda. I asked him why, and he said, why not? So here we are. Play Pagoda with Arthur Smith. Hi, Arthur. How are you? Yes, I'm hanging on in there. How are you, Philip? Well, I'm all right. Yeah, it is getting a bit tedious, isn't it? Being kind of feeling that nothing happens. I mean, particularly at the moment, um, August, you must be missing Edinburgh. Yes, I would have been in Edinburgh now. And uh, I would have been, yes, and it would have been my friend, well, it still is my friend Kirsty's birthday, who I do shows with up there. Oh right, and uh, and I but actually I was my show that I had originally planned to do got cancelled, but then um, I at the last minute I decided to do an outdoor walking tour show, which was all set up and I'd sold most of the tickets, but then that one had to get cancelled too. Why was so, that cancelled? Well, you know there were thirty pages of health and safety and regulations, and I could just see that. I'd end up uh, possibly in you know, some one of my two would be infected, then I'd be the evil Londoner who brought it up to Scotland. <laughs> I, I didn't want to do that, so uh, no. Reluctantly, uh, I I cancelled that one too. So, but yes, uh, this is the first year I haven't been in Edinburgh since oh, I think the mid nineties. Wow! And uh, yeah. so, although, it, yeah, I'm going to say it's uh, it's not the first time you've approached uh, or, or being close to killing somebody on a walking tour is it <laughs> oh yes there yeah, i remind me of that story that's for me well well oh yes la- that's right i remember tour. yes my late night tour which i'm still vaguely <laughs> thinking i might like, do a zoom version i used to this is in my book a hundred things i meant to tell you yeah uh, I I used to take a drunken crowd. I mean, I'm not so I don't drink anymore really, and uh, and my crowd are a bit less wild. But I used to have <laughs> maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty people following me down the road at three o'clock in the morning, most of whom were drunk. And at one point, I got a a man to stand on this little balcony, which is just near the top of the Royal Mile and uh, sing Scotland the Brave with his top off. And then a woman shouted out, well, you should offer a woman. So I said, all right. And she got up and they were both really drunk. And the the next day, as I was walking by this spot, I suddenly looked behind this balcony and saw there was a 40-foot, 50-foot drop. (laughs) And they were both drunk out of their heads standing there singing. I was too. I was up there. I mean... I could have caused the death of one or yeah. both of them and myself. And, and if if I'd survived and one of them had fallen down and died, I would have carried that guilt with me for the rest of my life, which is what I, I, When I, I read think, that, it just, yeah. Yeah, it just made my blood run cold. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping that the woman in question and the man will maybe read it and say, oh, yeah, I remember that, because somewhere I've got a picture of her standing there with her top off, waving and shouting, with, with just in her bra and pants. And, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, it's a little thing I like to do sometimes, gather together moments of where things could have gone horribly wrong, <laughs> but they think, didn't. Yeah, yeah. I think so, probably the internet's full of pictures like that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you if you search around for them, actually, it reminds me of my dad. Your dad was uh, he was in the was he in the Royal Artillery? 
I'm no, just, he was in uh, the Royal Sussex Regiment. In oh, the, the Royal Army. Sussex Regiment. Yeah. But yeah, but no, it just uh, it just reminded me um, that my dad, who was in the Royal Artillery, missed the war, but he he uh, was in Palestine, I think, and uh, what and for the whole he, duration of the war. Or? No, 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 it was, this is he after, was yeah. after the war, yeah, because yeah. he was he joined uh, was called up in forty five or forty six. Oh, I that think. was a good time to get. Yeah, up. he was very relieved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, but he he was saying talking about uh, some friends of his who staggering back from the um, the uh, NCOs mess, very drunk, and. Uh, and then they lost one of their friends on the way and they were hunting around for him. And he'd, he'd walked completely blind drunk into an empty swimming pool from the deep oh, end. Oh, my goodness. But he was fine. He was fast asleep on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Presumably not for too long. I'm guessing they dragged him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So, many, so many close shaves that you don't mm. consider. I maybe, yeah. I would, maybe I'll be killed by a bus after this. Oh no! You're not but going I out, are you? Won't. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not now. I'm not now. I've said that. Yeah. Do you, are you getting out? I mean, you love walking, don't you? Yes, I do. Although I haven't, you know, I haven't done as much as usual in recent times for for obvious reasons. But yes, yeah. I, I went up Box Hill uh, the other day, and then I went with some friends and walked around the lavender fields. All right. Uh, and mostly, though, I'm walking around Tooting Common and Wandsworth Common. And occasionally yeah. Clapham Common. Yes, <laughs> that's where you can be found. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> if in doubt, comb around Tooting Common. I'll be sat under a tree somewhere. Is that something you've always done? You've always enjoyed? Yes, I think when I was very lucky at school, the school I went to, mm. oh, which was a grammar school, a state school, uh, I owned a, a little kind of long shed in a little place in the Lake District. So from the age of 13 or something, I used to go up on field, on school trips to this yeah. place called Braithwaite. In the Lake, and we'd go off walking up all the mountains of the Lake District. And my mother always liked yeah. walking as well. So it was, and then when I was 16, I walked the Pennine Way. And oh, wow. When I was in my 50s, I, with my brother, I walked the coast to coast. Although annoyingly now, yeah. I've got a condition called claudication which means my legs ache more than they used to i certainly don't go as fast as i used to or as far is that a condition i think that's just age isn't it, it just happens to everyone no <laughs> it doesn't happen to everyone uh, right. I, no because uh, it means my legs ache after i've done the 300 yards and i have to slow down a little bit before i can right. start oh, I, see. I mean it's not oh, too I see debilitating you mean. yes no it is not everyone although it's true obviously I'm probably yeah. not as fit as I was when I was 21. No, probably. Yeah. <laughs> On balance. I always um, think it's hard for, if you're a sports person or a dancer or something, well, not necessarily a dancer, but a sport, if you're a sports well, person, yeah. your career's kind of done by the time you're in your early 30s, if that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas well, comedy, well, you can suppose, keep going. Yeah, but... That's a, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, as long as you can stand up or yeah. sit down, I suppose. You <laughs> remember what you're meant to be saying or have something well, interesting and <laughs> funny to say. Yeah, do you do you find that... Uh, no, I'm not going to leap straight on to how you write comedy because I still want to talk about walking. Do, do you, did you read the um, the Wainwright books? 
Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. I was a big fan of Wainwright. I've still got one upstairs that I got yeah. given as a prize for something at school. Um, oh, really? Yes, with those pictures and the and all the roots and the yeah, he was clearly a. I think he was probably a bit odd the rest of the time, but he was he was when he was in his element, walking up in the mountains. He was he was he was extraordinary the way he yeah. so religiously went through every walk and wrote them all down and drew. Yeah, because if you think about it, Rambling's a relatively recent thing. Prior to yeah. it was the. It was the the romantics, Wordsworth and Coleridge, who brought up the idea of walking for pleasure. Prior to that, yeah, you probably might have walked a long way, but that was to get to the market or yeah. know, go, go and pick your donkey up from its MOT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, donkey. That was a that was a wealthy family. Um, uh, yeah, I often think that when you when you find some of these little kind of uh, wooded tracks across the hills and so yes. you think so this was someone's commute once yeah yeah and it's yeah. been there hundreds of years probably yeah and, and you because yeah. you see those paths that are carved out in the woods aren't yes they? And then so yeah. many millions of steps have been walked over them they've slowly yeah. gone into a little trench of their own i um yeah i read uh wainwright's uh book about the pennine way which, oh, yeah. which I think I think was about the last to be published, actually, because I think he originally wrote it and never published it. That was, yeah, I think it was. Uh, so it was kind of nineteen thirty-eight, thirty-nine, oh, and towards the that? end of it, yeah, yeah he, uh, towards the end of it, he writes something about um, uh, the, the sort of rumblings uh, coming from Europe, and you know, kind of, I hope there won't be a war. Um, oh really? Yeah. When did, how, when, what was he? When did he die, Wainwright? Then. Oh gosh. I mean, 70s? Was he, yeah. Was it something? I don't know. So I'm he guessing. wasn't. He wasn't in the war then, or he was in the Rambling Regiment. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. Actually, no. I don't think he was. No. I think he was too old at that stage, perhaps, but uh, to be called up straight away. But I don't know. <laughs> well, someone oh, no. will look at mm. that. Yeah, somebody will. Um, but. But yeah, it was it was quite sweet because of course he set off without any kind of plan mm. and no accommodation, and uh, you know, I know. <laughs> it's quite romantic. I, I've always been quite fascinated by travellers and tramps or whatever you mm. choose to call them or hobos. Yeah. There's a rather yeah. good book out about it recently by a guy called Ian Cutler, and about because mm. I've always been. Wondered, oh, maybe I'll end up just sort of wandering from one place to another. And for some people, it became a, a, cho a choice of lifestyles, you know, never to be pinned down or anyone really knows where you are and you make friends along the way and, yeah. and blag your next dinner. Or <laughs> I think I have a rather over-romanticised view of it, but I applaud Wainwright for yeah. doing that. And I followed in his footsteps, what, 50 years, 40 years later yeah. when I did the Pennine yeah. Way. I always remember that the last two nights, I think, one we spent in a in a shelter, a kind of uh, it's like an old train carriage at the top of a mountain somewhere. But yeah. we, still, we still had like 30 miles to go. And then I think we camped overnight a couple of times. And we were winging it a bit, and it was a great feeling when we finally walked into Kirk Yetong, and mm. I got my O level results. All <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, which which uh, which were good. 
Yeah, they were. I can't really remember them now, but yeah, I passed them all and did pretty well in most of them. It's uh, yeah, it was just the idea that you know, kind of set off with his his leather shoes and his Harris yeah. tweed jacket, and the, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. what, I think it, I think he might have had a map, and that was it. And he just knock on people's doors. <laughs> what did he carry? Did he have? Because I know the the Romantics used to carry like briefcases or that that you know. Really? They wouldn't have anything on. I don't think the rucksack was invented then, was it? <laughs> well, I'm sure knapsacks were invented. Yeah, they were pre-First so. World War, weren't they? But yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So you, but you, but you have done a bit of that because you don't drive, do you? No, no. I, I sailed through my driving test. That's why I failed it. That's a, a gag <laughs> of mine for years. No, I don't drive. And funnily enough, there's a friend of mine who produced a program on Radio Four years ago called Poets Don't Drive, yeah. which apparently is is largely true. Well, I think female poets do, but uh, male poets, none of them can drive, apparently. For no, that's a good point, actually, yeah, because uh, Ian McMillan goes everywhere by train, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, I think and, yeah, uh, I don't think Roger McGough drives. I, I think yeah. probably Wendy Cope does. Um, right. I'm not sure about Simon Armitage. We should find out. Yes. This, this, yeah, but but it's already been done on Radio Four, so there's no yeah, point. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, so the fact that the I think it was Wendy Cope said that it was male poets, and she had a an acronym for them, which was Tumps, which is totally useless male poets. <laughs> <laughs> not that I, by the, the way, I'm putting myself up with Simon Armitage and whatnot, but I've always oh, had I don't a know. taste for poetry. Yeah, you have. You you you're very uh, a very literary person, aren't you? Well, words is what I deal in. Yeah, it was one of the reasons I was quite apprehensive about interviewing you because although I run a bookshop, I don't actually read many of them. And you read a lot. <laughs> you, you well, read I, don't a lot read, I don't read as much as I used to, to be honest. Although I've, I've just been reading a series, lots of short stories by Saki, which, is, uh, which I'm really mm. enjoying. Yes, I like to read. But sometimes yeah. I fail and end up watching, you know, true crime on the telly or something. Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, yeah. But you, <laughs> but going back to the um, the the walking thing, you used to hitchhike to gigs, didn't you? Oh yes, I would. I used to hitchhike everywhere when I in my twenties. I, I couldn't afford the train. Quite often, then in those days, there weren't night buses or anything in London, so I used to hitch home from parties. And yeah, I'd hitchhike to gigs. I was very proficient hitchhiker and it was a it was quite common then if you went to the start of the m1 at hendon or something there'd be a row of 10 people standing there waiting their turn in line to get picked up to go up the motorway really? hardly yeah. anyone does it anymore i suspect partly because you can get mega buses which i think are quite cheap but also because People are now terrified they're going to be picked up and shot and whatnot, although they probably yeah. wouldn't. I have hitchhiked in a couple of times in recent years when I had to, and both times yeah. worked out fine. Yeah. I Because I think you also mentioned, I, I think, did you mention it in the, in the book? Maybe not. Maybe it's in another interview. You mentioned about tweeting for a... Yeah, no, that is in the book. Yeah, yeah, tweet hitching is... Uh, is because that I, is? I have quite a few followers on Twitter, so... Yeah. Uh, twice I've said, "Can anyone give me a lift from uh, from there to there?" I, and uh, and a guy did. I was I was often offered to pay petrol, but he didn't even yeah. ask for it. And he was actually 
Central Line Gary, I called him. He turned, he worked for the Central Line in London and he was just a really charming man. And we had a lovely conversation. And if you're listening to this Central Line Gary, I'll uh, see you out on the road again soon. But yes, I've done it a couple of times at Christmas or something when I needed to get somewhere and obviously there were no trains or I was at a gig and it finished too late for the last train back or so tweet hitching. Maybe that's the way forward. Maybe it is, yeah. I suppose that's basically what Uber is anyway, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a kind of, You do have to pay them, that's true. Um, but you but you don't you don't generally do that now. I mean you, no, you, you no. go everywhere by first class train now, don't you? Well no, no, not first class. No. <laughs> I did more I did used to a bit or certainly at weekends I'd pay, I'll often pay the weekend supplement. But my funds are not right, quite yeah. what they were. Occasionally, oh, I sort of kicked the microphone now. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, bloody microphone, come here. I, uh, yes, I, I still hitchhike very rarely, and I get trains. But I, I love a train. I really love yeah, trains. I, I do, yeah. Far yeah. more than any other form of transportation. Because you can see the landscape as you're going through it in a reasonable way, but swift enough that it's exciting. Yeah. And whereas in a car, yeah, that, well, that, that yeah, that mm. trip up to Edinburgh is always a, a yes. trip, isn't it? Oh, train, especially yeah. the bit from uh, Berwick, North Berwick, yeah. through to Edinburgh, right along the coast. Yeah. There is the most beautiful bit of railway. Oh, well, there's a few of them. There's one down south I rather like. It goes from Exeter along the bottom of the coast there. It's rather lovely. And yes, Scarborough. Yeah. And I think there's some lovely ones in Scotland, though. I've not done enough of those. Yeah. Well, I I, I would have thought you were the perfect person for one of those travelogue uh, gigs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Train journeys. That yeah, everyone else seems right. to do them. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. yeah, if anyone's listening, yeah, and I do actually love trains and get them. I expect, you know, I'm not convinced that, oh, was it Portillo probably drives yeah. everywhere. Or, getting, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he I really mean, loves Chris trains. Yeah. Chris Tarrant, yeah. yeah, I bet. Well, he doesn't love trains as much as me. I don't think that's no. possible. No. <laughs> yeah, so. Arthur but Smith what... on the train. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> Do you remember that program? There used to be a program I used to love on the television—a very bland program in a way called Swiss Railway Journeys—and it was just loads of endless shots and nice trains going through the Alps with a bit of library music attached to it. It wasn't really much more than that. <laughs> really, I don't, I don't remember that at all. No, but again, that's the sort of thing that you get on YouTube now. I mean, yes. you, you literally get. Uh, I know there's there's the um, uh, it's, there's a, a road in Scotland. I think it's called something like the Atlantic Five Hundred, oh, yeah. and it's a road that goes from the west coast up to the far north, and uh, and there's there's a guy who's who's done it all on motorbike with a video camera. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it is quite interesting. I know, I've done that Definitely before Definitely waste now. quite a lot of time. <laughs> well, I've, yeah. I've sometimes, I've put into YouTube driving across Siberia or something. Yeah. And there's always someone who's done something like that, stuck yeah. a camera on their car. And you just yeah. see all these different landscapes and other worlds. And uh, Yeah. It is quite fascinating. I think uh, I, I fondly imagine that when I'm very, very old and unable to go anywhere, that's what I'll be doing. I'll just be looking at yeah, YouTube. Well, going anywhere is right out of fashion anyway. It uh, is at the moment. Apart yeah. from the pandemic, 
I think it's generally agreed that air travel is not great for the environment. So yes, as I say, used to used to um, used to hitchhike to your gigs, but um, I was going to ask you how you got started in uh, comedy. Well, you know how how you started making a living at comedy. Yes, well, that was in my late twenties. I spent a lot of time in comedy prior to then. I went with a group of uh, good friends up to the Edinburgh Festival in 1977, the year that we finished university at East Anglia Mm. University in Norwich. And we put on a show and it was quite successful. And then we put on another one the next year and the next year. And then uh, they were beginning to be quite successful and I still had another job, other jobs then, uh, in the end as a teacher of English to foreign students. But then... So we were still doing this review show, though that was a bit old-fashioned. And then the stand-up boom in London started in, uh, you know, in the early 80s. And I took to doing... Well, I was in a double act first with my friend Phil, and then I went solo. And then there were more and more gigs building up, and I was getting a bit of attention off the radio and telly. So I remember distinctly at 29... It, no, was it 28? I obviously remember distinctly. I... <laughs> I jacked in the other stuff and um, and went full time into uh, as an entertainer, as a kind of song and dance man. <laughs> and uh, until now, I haven't considered go doing other work other than show business ever since. So, when you talk, said talk about uh, sort of comedy, stand up comedy taking off in London, did you go and see comedy before you? Yes, I went to the the comic strip and I saw Alexi Sale and uh, Rick Mail and Aid Edmondson and uh, Pauline Melville. And I was stunned by how modern it felt, particularly Rick Mail, particularly particularly Alexi. He he was talking about now, he was talking about Thatcher and he was talking about the world. And whereas I had been a bit stuck in this rather old fashioned mode. And I saw the possibilities of talking about the world. And this was a time, I think it's no coincidence that alternative comedy or whatever it was, coincide, began at the same time as Mrs. Thatcher became yeah. prime minister. And there was really, the country was very divided then in a way, feels a bit like that now, but you were yeah. either with Thatcher or you were against her. And all the old school comedians were all Thatcherites, or most of them, and they were delivering old jokes in sparkly jackets, whereas we were busting on the stage. It was a little bit of punk in it too, and yeah. talking about new subjects and trying new ways of doing comedy that wasn't just jokes, or at least it was our own jokes or or observation comedy. or There was a whole new series of impulses coming into comedy then and it was exciting yeah and i suppose the the thing about uh comedy then is that you were looking at you kind of had comedy heroes who were the same age as you yes because... yeah yeah i remember being very yeah i was very excited when rick mail came to one of my shows and, yeah uh, yes it was it, and the, the young ones made a big impact on the world of television so then i started getting gigs on the telly a bit sometimes yeah uh it was all how did that and happen I... is that is, i don't mean to, I, I didn't mean to inflect surprise in my voice then <laughs> when, I, when i said how well, did that happen because 
I mean, nowadays, uh, comedians will go to Edinburgh having rehearsed the show to death and then assume that somebody's going to pick them up for a radio or TV or something. Yeah, well, that's the, yeah, that's the hope. Well, I, I, well, in Edinburgh, I made a few contacts, but I think it was more, I was doing a lot of comparing around London then. I was on every other week at the comedy store uh, in Leicester Square, as it was then, and uh, Jonglers, which had just opened this big club in Battersea. And I, I was, you know, I was kind of the man as the MC then. So people inevitably mm. would come and see me. And then I ended up, I remember after a show I'd done in Edinburgh, uh, a chap who I'd met briefly worked for LWT came up and said, oh, we want you to be in this new show, um, First Exposure. And I was all very excited. I said, oh, what, how long do you want me to do? He said, oh, no, we want you to present it. Wow. So, yeah, so that was, uh, that was a, a big thing I did in the yeah. mid-80s. I suppose, yeah, because I suppose if you're comparing, you you've got that, uh, yeah, that performance thing that uh, you're kind of holding the show together, and you're yes. not just doing your five or ten minutes. Yes, you're you're like the uh, host of a party as an yeah. EMC in a way. You know, you introduce people to each other, and you know, if one act's gone down not very well, you try and liven them up again, and. If one's gone really, really well, then you uh, slow it down a bit for the next act. Mm. There's a whole rhythm uh, to emceeing that it came to me relatively naturally. I, I actually was emceeing when I, did, when I very rarely did uh, solo spots at that time. And I only had about 20 minutes material, whereas I used to be winging it as an MC. Yeah. So it, it, usually it's the other way around, but... Some people are, are naturally good at emceeing. They've got some people, you know, they, 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 their character may not be correct for for presenting the world to the show. Were you conscious of kind of because uh, you say you were winging it, but were you conscious of kind of writing yourself on the stage, or were you? Yes, I. The the key is in stand up, particularly, is to find your own voice is to find the person that you are most naturally good at, at being on stage, yeah. which may be you or some version of you. There's quite a good story I seem to recall where Jack D was starting out around then. And he he used to come on and uh, he was quite bouncy in a way you can't imagine now. Yeah. But then he, he decided to give up comedy. This is how I understand the story. And... So he had a few more gigs, but he went and did them with a kind of this more type of attitude, at which point he started getting the laughs. Uh, and he realised that, that that was the voice that was best suited to him for comedy. A lot of comedians, when they start, they sound a bit like another comedian, but you have yeah. to find your own voice and your own type of material and the thing that you're most comfortable with on stage. And that can take a long time. Yeah, and I think there there's so many uh, comedians around now that yes. uh, that they kind of inevitably sound like someone else, as you yes. say. Certainly, certainly as they start off. Yes, well, it's true. When I was doing all that emceeing in London in the, the early eighties, there were only about fifteen of us comedians. Yeah, but now more or less everyone in the world is. It would seem. Yeah, <laughs> there certainly are loads and loads of them. Yeah, you know? and when we were doing it, then it wasn't really 
for the money or there wasn't didn't seem to be much avenue on TV in the early days. Yeah. Uh, whereas now I think often people, it's just a step towards some other thing they want to do. Yeah, it's it's a very different uh, era. Do you think if you were starting out in comedy now that you'd be doing it in the same way or you would have progressed in the same way? Well, who knows? It's, uh, it's a hypothetical. If I was starting out now and I'm 65, I'd have to do a lot of material, well, which I do even now, but about being old, I think. I think yeah. one of the things that's changed about comedy is people talk a lot more about their own sadnesses or uh, problems or excitements. Yeah. Oh, is that your siren or mine going? Oh, by? I think it's yours. Yeah, there's always loads going by here. Yeah. I do London. love a siren because it's going <laughs> to some disaster that's nothing to do with me. Well, I hope <laughs> so, not. As long as it's moving away, not being loud. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello, who's that at the door? Oh, police. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where was I? Last thing I remember is doing my O-levels, as I <laughs> used to say. <laughs> But um, yeah, no, we talk about yeah, the starting out in comedy today. Yes, um, I, I'm in, I, I'm interested in the in the sort of the kind of business of it because it, it strikes me that there's a there's a, certainly when you started out there was a uh, as you say not many comedians in that mm. sort of circuit yes. and and you and you genuinely did know most of them, didn't you? Oh yes, absolutely, and, and particularly in Edinburgh this time of year, you. If, if most comedians were doing Edinburgh, and yeah. you could all meet down at the Gilded Balloon on uh, on late at night on the show, and similarly in London, people, lots of comedians used to go to the Comedy Store for the late show, which didn't begin mm. till midnight. So you'd uh, you'd come off stage and see a load of other comedians all propping up the bar, drinking too much. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yes, now, I mean, there are hundreds of comedy clubs. Oh, there were, of course. You know, it's a difficult time for for the comedy, live comedy, and uh, there's not much help coming their way. And I gather lots of comedy clubs are in danger of closing down. And so, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, it's probably, you know, if you were looking to go into a new line of work, you probably wouldn't choose stand-up comedy at the moment. But then, in a way, you don't choose stand-up comedy. It chooses you, to some extent. Yeah. I think I was always a child who quite liked showing off to make people like me. Was And comedy was yeah. the, my metier for doing it. But, it is, but it's not always comedy, is it? I mean, you do, you do uh, uh, poetry in your... Yes, I love to recite right? poems during the course yeah. of my act. And yeah. I, I, as we, you said earlier on, I, I have a, a literary dimension, and I've always, I've always thought there was a connection between poetry and and humour and gags. Even it's, it's a small story with very carefully chosen words, which is yeah. not so much the case with a novel or or, or different forms uh, or a play, whereas. Stand-up comedy is a series of little stories, and uh, so and a poem is a little story, and again with very carefully chosen words. You notice in stand-up sometimes that if you you, you have a phrase, but you have to if you just slightly rephrase it, it gets a big laugh. But if you yeah. use it in leave the sentence as it started, it doesn't get any laugh at all. And I think that's the the care that poetry has for language. 
every yeah. word counts in a poem. So when you're uh, on stage, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know how much you are. Uh, you feel you're working from a script, and well, in a, they, in a sense, I, reciting it. Yeah, in, to some extent, you are. Although the audience have you have to give the illusion that you're just thinking it up as you're going along. And that's the, uh, I suppose, the suspension of disbelief that you do in comedy, that they've never said this before and this is an entirely new thought, uh, which is sometimes the case, of course. But mostly comedians have some kind of... I, I have quite a lot of material at the back of my mind that I might pull in at any moment, but I have a vague structure, depending how long I'm doing, Hmm. Uh, but I, I usually have a, a, an idea of the structure before I, I go on. Talking of which, I'm, I'm doing a show on Saturday at Southwark Cathedral. Oh, yeah. Uh, outside, there's a new statue of Shakespeare appearing. And I'm doing 20 minutes at the end. And I'm currently desperately trying to think <laughs> how I'm going to do 20 minutes <laughs> or half an hour even, which is all Shakespearean material. I can do a bit. Yeah. Talky or not talky, that is not Wrexham. We gant his new castle upon Tyne to suffer the hastings and harrow of outrageous Morgan, or to take <laughs> barns against the sea at Peebles by opposing Eltham, etc. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a few other bits. And I did do a version of Hamlet once uh, at oh, yeah. the festival. Where, uh, how, how was that? Well, it, it was actually it went very well in the end. At first, it was a bit of a disaster. The first time I did it, why was that? Because I was, well, I just it was a lot of wrong ideas and gangs that didn't come off, and monologue and soliloquies that I didn't quite do right. And but then I, I managed to get it right at Edinburgh. And I remember that was an ecstatic feeling coming off stage after it went really well, and then I slipped on a banana skin. Outside the back of the venue, and <laughs> well, fell literally, on my literally, and I never misuse the word literally. I literally slipped on a banana skin and fell over, which I don't think anyone's ever done apart from the no. old films. <laughs> but but there but, must be there's a sort of symmetry about you know exactly the, the, walking to, off uh, after Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, to to tremendous applause, then falling yeah. on your ass and twisting your ankle on a yeah. banana skin. There, there was a you know that definitely was a, a high point in my Edinburgh yeah. career. As was doing Hamlet because I was quite interested. You know, Hamlet is an extraordinary character. He's this uh, this introverted, clever, scared maybe you know with mental problems depressed uh you know he's got a reason to act but he can't bring himself to do it and uh it was the first depiction of depression i think ever really in the theater yeah. was hamlet uh, and because normally the prince of hamlet will be out waving his sword around killing people in pre previous to that uh yeah. and in fact this is a bit i might be doing at the Southwark Cathedral on Saturday. I'll tell the story about mad Frankie Fraser. Are you familiar with him, Philip? No. He, he was uh, he was a kind of gangster who worked for the craze. And oh, yeah, 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 well. yeah. He was an enforcer and he used to beat people up for a living, essentially, and then subsequently made a career out of talking about it. He, and he had a book out at the time about all yeah. the people he'd beaten up and he's, he'd spent 30 years in prison or something. 
and I took him out for lunch. There was me and him and Sally Phillips, who was my Ophelia, and uh, he said, hello, Arthur. He made me, <laughs> made me sound like Prince Charles. And I bought him lunch, and, I, and he said, well, what have you got me here for, Arthur? I said, well, uh, I was, the thing is, I'm, I'm doing Hamlet. And Frankie said, well, you bought lunch. I'll do him for you if you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did come and see the show in the end as well. I was a bit worried that he was going to subsequently do me after. <laughs> yeah. Well, you took him out. So, you know, that's a... That's right. Yeah, I, I was on the right. I mean, that was really the end of my uh, association with the London underworld, I have to say. Well, you have to say that, don't you? Yeah, it's true. I don't, <laughs> don't want him knowing anything else, but obviously I run the mafia from Ballam. Yeah. Actually, I noticed this, this, this thing about, you know, the nightmare of Ballam that you... Um, yeah. That you've... Yeah, appropriated. Yes, I, I am. I am the self-proclaimed. I live in Ballam, which, for those of you who don't know, is a inner city suburb. I suppose you call it of uh, just south between Clapham and Tooting. And uh, I have declared myself mayor some years ago, so I'm self-proclaimed mayor. I mean, there isn't a real one because that's actually Wandsworth, which is the mm. borough we're in. But uh, so I am the mayor of Ballam. I'm the nightmare. I don't do days, and I. <laughs> You know, we're building a wall around Ballam to keep the people of Clapham out. And uh, I like to make little jokes vaguely related uh, to the news as it is. I've just decided not to close Ballam Post Office. Right. And, uh, yeah, and I'm thinking of putting a big statue of me up in Sainsbury's car park. I'm a bit yeah. of a dictator in this uh, <laughs> world. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm kind of like a cross between... I don't know, Mao Tse Tung and Neil Kinnock. That's <laughs> an interesting that one, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure that the internet, that being as it is, actually has you down as the mayor of Ballam. Oh, yeah. For, I'm sure for if, real. You, if you Googled mayor of Ballam, I have no doubt that my name alone would come up, or at least I'd be top of the list. <laughs> <laughs> I have actually, someone gave me a, 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 a sort of golden chain made out of plastic obviously so i've got that upstairs and a t-shirt somewhere some someone gave me a mayor of ballam t-shirt as well so uh yeah and i obviously i don't want anyone else being mayor so i have all the other people i've got you know yeah people say that i've got some deal going with the russians but i i haven't i can assure you uh but from now on it's polanski <laughs> <laughs> These are sort of ludicrous games I play as uh, in my head as mayor of Ballam. Yeah, I've actually got a song. Do you want to hear my song? This is the song when I proclaimed myself mayor of Ballam. I I stood in the Waitrose car park and sang, "I am the mayor of Ballam. Oh yes, I bloody am. I am the mayor of Ballam. I bloody bloody am." Uh, And I wrote the lyrics for that. Really? (laughs) Yeah, quite proud of that. Yeah, <laughs> I sometimes you, get audiences to sing along with that. <laughs> Do they have to change the words because they can't all be the mayor of Ballam? Well, no, they're really celebrating me, aren't they? They're supreme yeah. leader, El Presidente. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yes, could be like uh, North Korea, couldn't you? Could all... Yeah, there's a touch yeah. of that about my yeah. uh, mayorship. Yeah. Mayoralty. Yeah, it's a mayoralty, isn't it? 
Um, so, yeah. You 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 do you do like to sing, don't you? Actually, yes, I, I, yes. And that's not always the case for people who like to hear me sing. But no, <laughs> I, I have done. Uh, I've done a. I consider myself the third best Leonard Cohen tribute act in South London because <laughs> I've done a couple of shows called Arthur Smith Sings Leonard Cohen, uh, in which I first chose the title just because I thought it seemed to be like the grimmest evening of entertainment imaginable. <laughs> so that uh, <laughs> it's like the worst possible title for a comedy show. But actually, I, I do love Leonard Cohen's songs and I found that actually I could sing them not too bad with the right accompaniment and I built little stories around them and uh, yeah so I've done two of those maybe I'll do another one one day but Leonard is no longer with us sad to say although he went out on a a high in my mind talk about a sense of timing he he died the day before Donald Trump won the presidency Great time, that was good time. Leonard. Very good time. I um I only just watched on uh, YouTube uh, Arthur Smith sings Andy Williams. Oh yeah, is that on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah, that was my first it's on Granada TV. Apparently, that's right. Although the live version was better, and I've got a film of that somewhere. Yes, oh, yeah. that was my that again. That started out as a joke. Arthur Smith sings Andy Williams. <laughs> Uh, I had no intention of singing Andy Williams, but then as Edinburgh grew nearer, and in the end I did sing a bit of Andy Williams with Tony Hawks, the uh, yeah. writer and comedian and golfer. And, uh, <laughs> but I made it all about this character that I was very interested in, a guy called Arthur Craven, who was a sort of pre-Dardarist figure who lived the most ridiculous life. And... Uh, and yeah, in some senses, personified Dardarism, which was always something I was quite interested in. I don't know if you know about Dardarism, uh, Phil. I don't. No, I was, I was going to ask you about that because you, you do reference it a bit, and it's another reason why I was a bit nervous about talking to you because I know nothing <laughs> about it well, apart worry. from. Well, it was it, it 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 was kind of born around the same time as surrealism, or at least in a sense, it gave birth to surrealism, and it started as a ridiculous little show called the Cabaret Voltaire in yeah. in Zurich in nineteen fifteen, when of course Zurich was neutral but the rest of Europe was ablaze with people killing each other and dying in the First World War. But and I think it was a reaction against all the classicism and grand ideas that had brought brought us to this. And Dadaism mm. refused all that and was kind of stupid and didn't take anything seriously and was interested, yeah, in repetition or in dreams or in, and that's how it ended up as surrealism. Right. But uh, the things I used to do in these Dada shows still make me laugh, the idea of them. You know, they had some three people come on and all tell the same joke at the same time, but each in different (laughs) languages or like ludicrous dance things that were, in a sense, they were making a, a comment on the, the ludicrous idea that order is possible. But they were all so funny, I think, looking is back. Is that, I mean, I, I, I say I don't know much about it, but is that sort, sort of, um, uh, does it speak about something that you find attractive in comedy, that it has something to say rather than 
being well, uh, yes. kind of soulless. Well, uh, oh, I don't mind if it's just someone falling on their ass. That's funny. That's something to say in a sense. The every every squeal of laughter is a moment of release from the madness of the world. I yeah. always think laughter. We it's the closest we ever come to sounding like our old ancestors, chimpanzees. <laughs> There you are. You see, you've just done one, Phil. No, that was actually a chimpanzee. (laughs) It's um, it's normally in the garage. Laughter is the one true metaphysical consolation, as Nietzsche nearly said, but not quite. But I I, I think bringing laughter to people, I'm very lucky to be able to have that job. And I hope I continue to have it for a while. And Dadaism, in a sense, was the same impulse. Yeah, although I guess it wasn't wasn't dependent on laughs, was it? And if you're if you're a comedian, you go and, and yes, in a true. club. And, yeah, know, I'm and sure it did get laugh. a lot of laughs. It's true, though. Yeah, that's the that's the one thing about comedy. It's the it's the one art form, if you want to call it that, where your success is measured instantly and audibly. Uh, whereas you, know, you can yeah. be an opera singer not doing very well and then you don't really know till no one really claps much at the end. Yeah. But with laughter, if people are laughing uh, lots, then that's it. You're doing your job. And if they're not, then you're not. Yeah. And, and it's – so what's the worst you've ever died then Ooh, on yeah. stage? <laughs> yeah. I, well, every, I, I like to ask – other comedians there, and there's some horrendous stories out there. Uh, there was the time when a man poured a pint of his own urine over me. Right. That wasn't very nice. Uh, there were, I think actually, though, the worst probably was a corporate gig I once did in front of a load of car salesmen. And frankly, you know, I don't drive and I'm not that interested in cars, so I had a my car material was really not what they wanted in as far as I was <laughs> slagging cars off lar- largely. Yeah. And I just went down to a very big silence. And then you have to do that. I had to do the walk from uh, you know, backstage to go out and get the train home or hitchhike yeah. home. And I had to walk past them all. And I could see them looking at me thinking, what the hell was he doing here? That was a miserable one. Yeah. And then there's been a few where I, I did a, a show called The Pissed Up Chat Show. <laughs> and the first version of that I did at the Adderbelly on the South Bank, oh, frankly, yeah. was just... Because <laughs> the idea was I'd have guests that were drunk, whereas I'd be sober, and I used to give them a breathalyzer at the start to make sure they were drunk enough to uh, oh, good. to be eligible. But then, of course, obviously, <laughs> drunks don't aren't always necessarily entertaining. They can be sometimes, because I did a a run of it at Edinburgh, and some drunks were hugely entertaining, but frankly, mostly they aren't. And I hadn't really worked out what I was doing, and the whole thing was a disaster. And I don't think I've played the other belly since. Well, was it a long run? Did you did you have to? Well, the other belly was just a one off, but but in Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, I did. I think I did you know, 10 or 11, 12 shows or something. Yeah. And some of those are quite good. I mean, the audience knew that it was liable to be unpredictable, yeah. to say the least. Yeah. That, that, that concept's still working, though, isn't it, in Edinburgh? Because there's still the, uh, the pissed-up Shakespeare and... Yes, that's all. Well, I, you know, I think I started a bit of a trend, in a way, because there was always drunk people 
doing history on the telly, wasn't there? And uh, was <laughs> well, I had this idea as well. I'd do stoned because I did really early on in my career when I was playing jonglers in the comedy store. I used to go on stage with a joint uh, and hand it hmm. to whoever in the audience wanted it, and then spend the rest of the evening going back to see if that person was laughing more, and therefore, if we just gave everyone <laughs> a joint, we wouldn't need comedians. Was my thesis. <laughs> Well, it's hard to think now. Well, obviously, a cigarette would be you get arrested for. So actually, handing out a joint, looking back on it, yeah. seems like a very strange thing to have been doing. I obviously wouldn't do it now. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So Edinburgh isn't happening. So no. Uh, what are you doing? What are you doing with your time? Well, being busy. I'm not as you know, I. Part I did another show in Edinburgh a couple of years ago called Mindlessness, which was, uh, and part of my thesis of mindlessness was CBA, which is can't be asked-fullness. <laughs> and I must admit, I'm quite good at being lazy and not doing much. But having said that, yes, I've been, I've been trying to work out how to do Zoom gigs and that kind of thing, and I'm trying to set up a, a Patreon or Patreon, mm. I'm not sure how you do it, where I'm going to generate lots of material and put out old clips. And oh, good. And I feel I should be writing a novel or a play, obviously, but we, the times are so fluid and unknown what lies ahead that it's yeah. hard to, I find it hard to knuckle down. Well, that's my excuse, anyway. No, I feel the same. I feel the same. It's sort of, there was a, uh, initially, there was a sense of um, this is not going to last very long. Yeah. Let's, 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 we'll just go with the flow. And then there was a lot of people producing a lot of stuff <laughs> online, yeah. you know, learning how to bake or hang glide or something. And, <laughs> yeah. um, or at the same time. And I, and then you, then you feel guilty for not, Yes, I home. know, and I, I'm uh, not, you know, I'm a, not really, a, you know, I'm a pre-techie man, and uh, I'm not very good with all those things. But I recognise that, and I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced. I want to go to a Zoom gig. Really. No, it's just not the same, is it? As being, I, I did do an outdoor show at the Tring Festival or at Tring in uh, in oh, yeah. Hertfordshire, is it? Uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. And they'd set up a stage and it was outdoors and socially distanced and everything. And they washed a microphone between every comedian. And uh, and I did feel, it felt wonderful to be doing it again. Even if you felt a bit, you didn't know quite what you were doing initially. Or does that joke still work? How do I do that? What should I say about all this? But actually there was a great atmosphere. The audience were really really welcoming and yeah, pleased sure. to be there. And so yeah. it felt actually really rather good. So I'm hoping I'm going to do some more outdoor shows. I might do some yeah. tours of Ballam maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, you'd definitely get an audience. Yeah. you definitely get an audience. Even if they were all two metres apart and you had this long... Uh, yeah. Kind of... yeah, but that doesn't matter if you've got sort of 20 or so and you take them around the common or up to Sainsbury's car park yeah. and relive these great moments of mine as mayor. Do you, do you use a megaphone? Well, I, I, I do. I used to, uh, in the old days, when there was 200 people up the Royal Mile, in fact, the time I got arrested, oh, yeah. I was, they said you're arrested for breach of the peace and possession of a megaphone. <laughs> but I do actually have a megaphone, and I don't know quite if I'd need it or not if I was doing an outdoor tour. I, I shall have to 
experience that. It's not quite the same, obviously, a megaphone, but if there's people up the back and you don't want to go horse, then maybe yeah. that's the way forward. Or again, maybe there's some kind of technical solution that if everyone's got their mobile phones and their earphones in... Yeah, that's and true. And you've got a little... Well, I suppose if I've got a little speaker and a microphone or something, yeah. yeah. I mean, the trouble is, I'm really I'm rubbish at all at anything that you know, anything normal, really. <laughs> I'm rubbish <laughs> with things, so I'd need someone things, to help yeah. me sort that out. So, if anyone's listening and yeah. wants to help sort out how to monetize my alternative tour of Ballum, then apply here. If uh, it just remind me, if I if I ever did a um, stand up, I, I I had a line. That, uh, I, that I, how much I hated inanimate objects. And, <laughs> oh, really? Uh, yeah. What's and, the line? Well, that was that was that was the beginning of the line. You know, yeah. I haven't developed haven't developed it much, but I was going to then go on to say, <laughs> I, uh, and I hate animals as well, uh, so, and I'm not that keen on people. So, <laughs> was, oh, yeah, you you'd know, be going for the, the sort of misanthrope stand. I, I think I would, but I, yeah, I think I probably would. Well, there might be a way forward, yes. Phil. It's uh, it's not a great time to start out, but you never know. No, <laughs> no. they'd definitely be uh, socially distanced, wouldn't they? The, the two people who came to see me. <laughs> yeah, I remember going to a show once in Edinburgh years ago where, uh, no, I didn't go. I heard about it. There was a guy who wasn't doing, you know, he was not selling many tickets, as is often the case. And he was doing his show and there were two people in the audience, a couple watching him which must have been a bit embarrassing all around. And then they left. So <laughs> he presumably was going, oh, and then another thing. And then they walked out and there he was just standing in front of yeah. nobody. And uh, I often wondered if you finished the show anyway. <laughs> I, I was the only person in the audience for a show last year at Edinburgh. Were you? Um, well, how did that feel? Yeah. Very awkward. Yeah. Uh, very awkward, yeah. There, there but they did two, the show. Two I people mean... on stage. They did the, <laughs> oh, really? They did oh, they were twice I, as many on stage as in the yeah. audience. Yeah. And I, I even bought them a drink afterwards. I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was very so... noble of you, Phil. Well done. What was the show? I can't remember the title. I did tweet about it afterwards because I thought, oh, they, you know, they need yeah. more people. Well, um, the first it, time but, we yeah. ever did Edinburgh, we had, I think, five, five in the audience one of whom was my brother with his two friends and one was someone else with you. Yeah. It's quite common in Edinburgh to play in front of nobody. Yeah, I guess so. Especially when you're starting out. I guess so. Um, But, no, I think what you should be doing is writing another play. Yeah, you're right. I should be. Yeah. Although even there you think, well, our play's going to ever come back again, you know, cancel all the panto season and whatnot. Yeah. But, Um, I mean, uh, have in mind it might be a television yeah. play or something but it's uh, i i really enjoyed uh, an evening with gary lineker I yeah also... well thank you for that which i co-wrote with chris england yeah i know yeah. i've never had a hit like that since really i suppose maybe grumpy old men in a different way yeah but uh, yeah. yeah i was lucky to have to have done that and uh, yeah all right i'm gonna write another play phil i'm starting yeah. as soon as we end here all right, do you want me to go then? <laughs> <laughs> well spotted. I've got to work out this Shakespeare gig that I was oh, talking yeah, about. Of course and you I've do, got yeah. obviously now I've got yeah. to write a play as well. Yeah. You so, long. Uh, I mean, I yeah, just get on with it. This is the longest <laughs> I've sat down and talked to someone for ages, really. Is it? My, well, my partner and I, but she's upstairs yeah. writing all the time. Yeah. So it's it's been quite a pleasure, Phil. Yeah, it has. Thank you.
Um, and uh, I, I know you mentioned your book right at the top, but we ought to mention it, 100 Things I Meant to Tell You. That's right, um, yes. Available it, in Phil's bookshop. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I, um, I'd i read quite a few of them before, but because um, I think, have they been in The Guardian or some? Uh, uh, well, some one them, or two some... of them, yeah. I I'd yeah. extracted from things I'd written in yeah. the past, yeah. Yeah, but it's nice. And, um, yeah, you talk about your mum and uh, his yes, my mother, was in Tunbridge. And... Yeah, who has dementia now and is in a mm-hmm. home, but actually she's yeah. in a miles better place now than she was when she was in Tunbridge living alone. Yeah feeling the dementia coming on now she doesn't really know she's got it so she's quite jolly doing you know, and they love yeah. to her the carers are fabulous people yeah uh but i guess you haven't seen her for a while so no when the last time i did see her I, it, there had to be a fence between us which was awkward mm. and it felt a bit like she was in a cage or i was in a cage mm. or something and she's arrived at the point now where she doesn't know who i am yeah. so uh yeah. I don't feel too bad about going, not being able, you're not going to see her at the moment. Cause, but I, you know, I, I can't wait to go back and take her out for a little walk around the grounds because yeah. she was a great rambler in her day, and and she still loves to walk, even though she's ninety and obviously doesn't go as fast as she used to. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing my mother. Good, good. Well, I hope that happens soon, and I hope you get out and about soon as well. Yeah, and I hope your uh, Southwark gig. Yes, okay. Um, <laughs> I hope so too, forsooth. Yes. Exit, exit. I've got a bear costume as well, so uh, oh, well, I'm taking that. Exit pursued by a bear. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, <laughs> have fun. Thank you for talking to us and uh, and take care. Thank you very much, Phil. And uh, may your next guest be even more brilliant than me. <laughs> oh, I, d- I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> Actually, it might be it might be Ian McMillan. You never know. Oh yeah, uh, he's a great man. Yeah, good on him. Yeah. All right, thanks. Cheers, then. Bye, Philip. Bye bye. So there you go. That was the lovely Arthur Smith, self-appointed nightmare of Balham and an all-round good guy. So call in to Mr Books or go online to www.mrbooks.co.uk if you'd like a copy of Arthur's 100 Things I Meant to Tell You. Uh, We can offer you a discount on that if you mention the uh, podcast during August and September. Um, You would have heard a a hint about a possible future guest, Ian McMillan, but uh, he hasn't... uh, hasn't finalised yet but before then I'm hoping we can get to speak to the very positive and inspiring Giles Paley Phillip but uh, again we just need to uh, to uh, pin him down but keep checking back at our website uh, for new episodes or even better subscribe on whatever platform you found us and, uh, and you can donate there too through Acast. Uh, Ideas in Writing is supported by Mr Books Bookshop in Tunbridge, the home of independent, inspiring and imaginative gifts, books and conversation, including an exclusive range of book-related and Mr Books-inspired T-shirts. So have a look at those on the website. Whatever you buy from us, including books, of course, helps to keep an independent bookshop open. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us. You just need to click on the link and become an ACAST supporter. It's a one-off donation. You can give as much or as little as you like, and uh, there's no commitment. But it certainly helps us to keep producing these podcasts. So thank you very much.